We are live. It takes a while for everyone to crank in, though. That's okay. Did anyone watch The Last Dance last night? Of course. What'd you think? Oh, incredible. Really? I, I felt I, bad for Scottie Pippen. Why wow, they, did, they, did they crush him? No, they just talked about how he sort of got, pay-wise, <laughs> got you know, kind of screwed over repeatedly. Oh, yeah? But you saw his wife posted that he actually made out all right in life, so. Yeah, that, the memes yeah, I, on Scottie Pippen this morning were the best part of Twitter, by far. <laughs> Seriously, he's a Hall of Famer who... Well, how yeah. much did he get crammed down on what he was getting paid? I mean, I'm sure he still made some decent coin. I think he was the 123rd highest player. Oh, God. How like horrible. It was just sort of, yeah, that must be a really rough life. I, feel, I, don't, I, I, do don't know how, I don't know how he gets by. Let's see. What is this? Hold on one second. Um, why don't we discuss who has the best background? Why is it? Oh, chat is different than Q&A. That's the issue. Got it. How often are you guys doing these Zooms? I mean, it's been pretty regular, um, you know, since everyone's been sheltered in place. Every, every, I mean, right? We have like four this week, right? Three or four this week? I mean, we're trying to do at least two a week, I guess, is sort of the cadence. But, I, you know, this week's obviously heavier. I think it's just going to ebb and flow. But sort of everyone sort of wants to talk because everyone's sort of stuck. And I think just, especially video, just feels... Everyone, I think, feels a little bit closer seeing people versus just hearing them on conference calls and, and regular phone calls. And so well, we try to do as much video as possible. Certainly. It's also a good opportunity for us. <laughs> There's availability um, for corporate access and new ways to bring people together. In the past, we would never be able to bring uh, the type, yeah. of, type of mashups together that we have. Like Kevin and Ophir wouldn't necessarily be at the, at the same event or the same yeah. office location or last week we had pac 12 and sec no chance you're getting two commissioners from different parts of the country to sit down in person at the same time and uh, you know it's been things like that that are really unique about this format that we're learning i think behaviorally yeah. it's also just going to change you know things for a lot of people as everyone gets more comfortable with the you know with doing these um whether it's zoom or the other ones Right. It's just it's easier to do this than travel, right? I had a guy last week tell me that he's not doing any more board meetings in person. He wants all board meetings for this startup to be virtual because there's no reason to get on a plane. That this works just fine for a, for a virtual board meeting. I mean, even our meeting fine, the- and, and there's even bet some technology that's incredible. If you've seen those Cisco rooms, are just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Okay, why don't we get started? Some of the schools changed to changed over that. The, what do they call them? The Google Meeting Rooms? It's yeah, Google Hangouts they're versus of, Zoom. They're afraid of Zoom bombing, and it's been a nightmare for the for the kids. Hmm. Hopefully no one Zoom bombs us. Or maybe it'll make it more Yeah, fun. don't even entice that. All right, let's go, Rich. Let's get it started quick now. Do we have uh, the exit button? <laughs> uh, 
It's Rich Greenfield on behalf of uh, my partners, Walt Pysik, Brandon Ross. Just want to welcome everyone to Lightshed Live. We are really excited today to talk about a category that is exploding growth-wise, even during the pandemic, maybe more so during the pandemic, which is video games and live streaming. We've got two experts in the field. We've got uh, Kevin Lin, who's one of the co-founders of Twitch. And we've got Ophir Lupa, who is uh, really, the, the I think of as the master of all things gaming at UTA. He's a partner and head of games over at UTA. We've known him a long time. And we're excited to have these two um, really smart video game folks join us to talk about the world of gaming. I'm going to turn it over to Brandon, who's going to start off the questions. Thanks, Rich. Um, you, met, you mentioned COVID and um, the pandemic that we're in now. And obviously, as Rich mentioned, there's been an extreme amount of engagement, whether it's in-game engagement or the, the streaming statistics on places um, like Twitch have kind of been through the roof. But when we when we get past this and, and looking ahead, what are the lasting effects of COVID going to be? Is there going to be a a new base of players, um, a new normal of the amount of players and the amount of engagement? Or do we expect things to kind of slide back to where they were pre-COVID? Yeah. Um, or, Ophir, you want to go? Or no, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. You start. So, yeah, I, I, I think there will be, there's certainly a lot of new players. Um, whether they stick or not is a big question. I think for me, what's interesting is just that cultural impact, the realization that gaming is such an interactive medium these days. A lot of folks didn't use Discord, didn't play PC games, for instance, and didn't do really the social side of, of gameplay. And now more and more people are experiencing that. They're playing games while being on Zoom with friends. And that is a wholly different experience than what they were used to. And so I think some of that will stick. Um, uh, of course, you can always get you know burnout from playing games, but I think the, the new tools we have, availability of those tools, free video conferencing, uh, especially will, will alter the way people engage around video games. Um, so I think, I, think it'll, I think it'll have a lasting effect. I think people hanging out like we are right now, playing games together, is just becoming more and more uh, acceptable, in a sense, uh, as a as an alternative to physical experience, and and so I think that part will that part will have a longer impact. Um, and there's going to be a lot of different types of games that come out now. I think that are a little bit more social, uh, that allow you to have conversations like this and and play at the same time without that degree of intensity. Um, so I think you're starting to see a lot of sort of more hardcore social style of game design. Uh, I, think, I think that will capture moments like this. Yeah, I mean, I tend to, I t I tend to agree with most of, what, most of what Kevin said. Obviously, um, <clears throat> what, what, you're, what we're experiencing now is sort of, sort of two distinct groups of people playing games, right? You've got folks, folks who are sort of native to gameplay, right? Whether it's myself, who's not necessarily a lapsed gamer, but I, don't I typically don't have as much time as... Is some other folks to be playing now? Of course, given COVID, you're you're home, you're playing more, you're you're interacting more. But then there is this new look. There's this new addressable market of folks who are home, right? Who who have either never played a game before, haven't played a game in years. I mean, we're talking about probably skip generations here in terms of hardware um, and platform, and who are experiencing games either for the first time or sort of uh, newly a newly found love for the game, right? So so that's great. Right, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> you're definitely going to see erosion. I mean, there's no doubt, right? When con when live events start opening up, people start traveling again. 
you know, uh, God, I can't even wait to see what the, we were just talking about the last dance, what the, uh, what the ratings were for that last night. Right. So I think as, as, as society opens up more, you're definitely going to see some erosion, but I think what you hope for, uh, if you were the gaming business is that <clears throat> you have newfound, newfound fans and newfound folks who are, who are sort of accustomed to gaming and who, who sort of stick with it. If you look at what's been happening on, on linear television, um, with the absence of sports, we've started to see esports appear more regularly. Obviously, there was the NBA 2, uh, 2K um, tournament um, done in conjunction with the NBA itself, um, and we've we've seen more esports in general on television. Is is that an opportunity coming out of the pandemic? to to popularize uh, esports oh for sure i mean the beauty of esports in, in in this in the pandemic situation is that you can plan it from anywhere people can participate people can produce they can host they can commentate from anywhere around the world so you don't you know esports has always not really in the beginning anyway, not relied on that physical presence. And even today, all the online qualifiers that lead into the physical final event are still all handled online, broadcast just as if they were, you know, broadcast from a stadium. Um, and so that's just something, that's, that's how esports really grew up. Uh, and so you have the benefits of that being an acceptable style of production for esports, uh, even on the premium end, um, all the way to, you've got teams of people around the world who are just good at this. They're, they're just used to using only online tools and a distributed team to produce high quality content. Um, so I think that, yeah, definitely. I think that it'll, it'll continue to trend. I think you, you start to see a lot of amateur esports popping up. Riot recently mentioned or, or announced that they're going to allow more of the community growth side of the Valorant esports community rather than kind of pulling in immediately into an Overwatch League or LCS style. And I think that's really smart. Um, you let the community you know, not only build their own businesses, but really iterate and evolve what that esport could look like. Um, so I think that approach is smart, but in general, across the board, you know, people are participating in tournaments for fun, some of which is broadcast um, for, for spectatorship. When you think about um, live streaming, though, you know, I think about whether it's Twitch or and really any of the platforms that, that do live streaming, so much of the time spent, I think one of the things that always surprised me back to when I first met you, Kevin, was just how much time people spent not even watching people play games, but it was literally just interacting with with basically people who were fans of whoever the game player was. And when I look at one of the big trends that we're seeing now online, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, really across the whole Internet, it seems like the, just the phenomenon of people live streaming themselves from workout instructors to just people just hanging out live, that whole phenomenon just seems to be taking on a whole new meaning for people all around the world. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we've done non-gaming streaming for quite some time. In fact, the company started off as a very general live streaming platform uh, for pretty much anything. Um, but really, you know, to me, what Twitch is all about and always has been, um, is sort of just an you know insight into a person's life in a, in a very interactive and engaged way. And gaming was our primary focus largely because you know we were passionate about it. We were gamers. It was content we were consuming as as you know builders of this product. Um, but it was also uh, just this realization that it felt like hanging out. It's about as close I think as you can get in this version of the internet to being with other people uh, and hanging out. And so that's what, that was the primary focus. Now, 
we've tried other categories for some time. Uh, we did creative, we did a style called cook room or a category called cook room, which was leaning into a Korean trend called mukbang of people just sort of eating copious amounts of food over many hours. Um, that kind of worked and it's still there. Um, but really you, you are starting to see people that are uh, doing just about anything from just simply sitting there and talking to their fans, uh, pontificating about whatever they care about all the way to cooking shows, to blacksmiths, to, you know, you name it. And, and, and that's really just it, part of it is, is observing someone's hobby, but a lot of it really, a lot of the experience is just connecting with that, particular creator and the community around them. It sort of surprises me, Ophir, I guess when I look at the space and I, I look at how many people are live streaming and yet you sort of have to hack together tools to make money doing it. And I, you know, you represent a lot of digital talent well beyond the video gaming space at UTA, but it, it is surprising to me, like just how hard it is for people, you know, they have to use, you know, they're using Venmo and they're using Patreon. Like it, it is not easy on most of these live streaming platforms to actually build a business like they're not sort of built for that yet everyone seems to sort of be hacking this together because there's just crazy amounts of viewership and i think facebook said their live viewership has doubled pre and po or you know during and pre-covid oh no doubt i mean i think you'd look at i'm sure kevin's got better stats than i do about what's going on at twitch but my my god you even look at with the launch of valorant um what that you know sort of new that new energy that a new game brings to a platform like Twitch can do to just viewership generally. I think even on top of, you know, something like COVID, you look at, you know, one of our clients <clears throat> on the streaming side is this incredible woman named Pokimane. She's probably the biggest female streamer on, on the Twitch platform. But I mean, two, two weekends ago, I'd say her concurrent viewership exceeded 120,000 at a given point, which is a massive number. Um, and how long was that for? Like, how long was she actually on for doing oh, that many was, viewers? She was grinding that day. Um, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd get back to you with the total number of hours. But, but hours. She was playing hours, hours, hours. Yeah, I mean, look, Valorant, you know, had, a, had an incredible uh, net effect across the entire ecosystem, right? They enabled drops. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit in terms of what that yeah. means generally. But, yeah, I think, you know, to, to your initial question, Richard, yes, totally. People are hacking this together. Um, who I'd say do not come from a traditional live stream, you know, yeah. native, native digital sort of uh, background, right? I mean, I think you look at even fitness trainers, for instance, are, are really having a hard time. Like, I can get up there, I can do it. How do you, how do you pay me? How do I, you know, it's a, it's a pretty interesting time. And what about sponsors? Has sponsorship been a big, you know, are you seeing like brands trying to, I mean, obviously the advertising is getting hit from all different angles, but yet... Are we seeing any brands trying to take advantage of this or look at this as a huge opportunity? I mean, I think of just like Zoom backgrounds. Like I'm surprised everyone is not out there marketing Zoom backgrounds hmm. for all of this streaming right now. It's a good idea. <laughs> time, to, time to raise some money. Okay, with, with a light, shed, with a light shed logo on it, Rick. Can we, can we get a let's royalty go, on that? Go, Kevin. I get points. I get points in this. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I think it's I think it's category by category to answer the question. Uh, you know, we're seeing some 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 slowing down. Look, you know, you had you had you had Jeffrey Katzenberg on the other week. Quibi is not slowing down. It's it's marketing. You know, I think you look at some of the live streamers. We see we know Hulu's got a bunch of shows coming out in the near term here. They're spending aggressively against that. So it really depends on the category. Certainly, um, not speaking for our podcast group, but they gave a presentation today to to a number of us at the agency. Um, you know, we're seeing, inter it's interesting to see how the podcasting business has shifted from, uh, from a marketing standpoint and the sponsorship standpoint, you know, you're, 
you know, the mattress companies aren't necessarily, you know, shipping a lot of mattresses like this. Yeah, I think you see, you know, you see some, I think BMW recently announced a, a huge expansion of their gaming and esports sponsorship initiatives. I don't know what, it, you know, what, what percentage of what is, what they are actually spending this year that reflects, but I presume a pretty decent amount and, and just leaning into the fact that, hey, this, this particular category of content is still growing. Um, and just thinking through, you know, what the right avenues are. You know, a lot of folks go direct to influencer. Uh, a lot of folks have been sponsoring esports tournaments or, or gaming events. I think they'll get a little bit smarter about it. Um, and, 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 you know, I think they should. They, they, they should demand a little bit more understanding of, of what conversion means for them in, in, in new mediums like this, relatively new mediums like this. Um, but it is a good time. I think, I think you look at, you know, just, just to touch on the Valorant point, that would have been a amazing sponsorship opportunity for somebody if, if Riot wanted to do something like that, where not only are they simultaneously really engaging and helping that community during a tough time, as in they could have just launched the game like normal and just offered beta keys, but instead they thought, hey, here's an interesting idea. What if we actually allow our creators to basically give these away for, on our behalf and benefit from that with engaged, higher engaged audience, which is their core revenue stream? Um, in, in, in what is a, a really tough time for, for people to make money. So can you, do, can you see new methods of, of, of engaging via a creator to a customer that is actually impactful, actually has high conversion? Um, I think you'll see a lot of interesting takes at what sponsorship um, programs will look like going forward. You've mentioned Valorant a couple of times. Can you maybe explain to the audience what what the launch plan was there and how Twitch um, participated in it? Sure. So uh, Valorant is a new arena FPS um, from Riot. Um, Twitch drops is something that's existed for a really long time. The way a Twitch drop works is if you are a viewer watching um, a streamer, every and minutes or or after a particular action, you'll get something. Traditionally, what you get is you get something in-game. So you might get an in-game skin, you might get in-game currency or otherwise. Uh, and that's just a way for uh, game companies to essentially reward viewership of their games. Um, Riot with Valorant decided rather than just giving an in-game item away or, or some small amount of currency away, they were giving the entire access to the game away. So uh, to get a beta key, to, to get into Valorant, where traditionally a game company will either have a sign-up page on a website, or, or, which is probably most common, or in their launcher if they have one, um, they decided to activate Twitch drops. And so uh, you saw, you know, we saw almost upwards of 2 million people at once concurrently watching a variety of Valorant streamers in order to get access to the beta of the game. Um, so very unusual approach to drops, uh, but it worked pretty well. And so you're seeing that engagement, even though the, lim- the number of people who had keys at the time was limited to not that many. It was a very you know, handful of, of people that were testing the game and a handful of creators that they passed it on to. Um, but that really proliferated quickly just from that simple drop experience. So you watch um, your favorite streamer, whoever that might be, they're playing the game. And all of a sudden you get a notification that says, hey, you now have access to this game. Really cool way. Um, to lean into that, but like, like I was saying earlier, what was most most cool about it, in my opinion, was that these creators really benefited from it. Um, uh, folks like like Pokimane, like Ophir mentioned, saw numbers that she hadn't seen in you know maybe ever. I don't, I don't know if Pokey's ever gotten that high. I think that's repeated across the board. Yeah, 
And and Valorant's really taken off. I mean, even come even coming out of of the launch. Um, why why do you think it has such broad appeal? Is it kind of the perfect mix mixture of a hardcore game that also has kind of some cartoonish appeal? Does that make it the perfect esport? Uh, what do you guys think about Valorant more broadly? Uh, okay, you want to go? I, I mean, yeah, this. I don't know. I don't know about I don't know about the perfect esport. Uh, I think look, it's. Part of it is Riot obviously takes a lot of pride, time, and effort into crafting the games that they put out, period, full stop. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, so the game is, from a mechanic standpoint, it's super tight. Um, it's fun to play. It's got great mechanics. You know, it's sort of, it's all, that, that's all there. I think coupled with the timing of, frankly, just people with a lot of extra time on their hands, um, you know, the drops that they enabled, uh, that, that Kevin was just, walking us through it's a, it's almost like a perfect storm for them in that regard um and i think a launch that a lot of people are going to be taking a, a good good hard look at um as they launch titles in the future for sure so what's their master plan are they are they basically just trying to become a better blizzard or are they just looks like they're trying to get outside of interact interactive games like what what, what is the what do you think master plan for riot I mean, I think they, I think everyone wants to have a game that is at the top of every category. Right? Sure. It's 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 pretty rare. You, you see some splits, but the, the splits are pretty 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 wide in terms of who dominates a singular category. And I think Valorant had the benefit of, although obviously they've been working on it for a super long time, um, but it's kind of this interesting hybrid of a CS:GO, which is a very fast fast-based, uh, fast FPS in terms of how the matches run. Um, instead of respawns, you just kind of die and restart, and then it, it, you get a lot of novelty on a per-game basis as a result, rather than sort of grinding up against the same objective as you might get in Overwatch. And so it's kind of an interesting combo of the two. I think Riot also historically has done a great job creating IP. You know, I, I think a lot of a lot of the fans used to criticize the lack of lore in terms of their world building, but they're really good at building characters that you love. Um, I think I think Blizzard is is probably still, in my opinion, the best at that um, because they do tie it together in a big lore. But I think the goal, if, if you know, Riot trying to do that, obviously as well. Exactly. So I think I think that's what you're starting to see from Riot is not only do they want to dominate each category as any game, as any game company would, it, it's to start to tie it all together. Um, Team Fight Tactics, which came out sort of somewhat quietly last year, mm-hmm. uh, is rumored to already be making you know a non-trivial percentage of what League of Legends was making in its first couple of years. And that's just leaning on not only the game engine they built, but also the character IP that they that they had built in League of Legends. So I think you're starting to see a lot of that um, from, from Riot, which is which is really neat to just see how they're expanding not only the universe, but their actual games um, that they're that they're developing. But I would guess, you know, they wanna they wanna win. Like uh, in, in 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 true Riot fashion like League of Legends being incredibly successful with their first game uh, in, in one of the biggest genres, genre categories in the world, uh, I suspect that they'll want to keep doing that. Yeah, and I just, just to, to piggyback on that, I mean, I think I, I would look at them in many ways like Marvel, right? And I think what they're trying to do is really create sort of the, the Riot interactive universe, right? Um, maybe it doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well, but <clears throat> in many ways, I think that's, that's sort of really the focus for them, right? Is Kevin's point have winners in every segment, uh, uh, every genre, every platform. I mean, obviously, 
this push, they announced it, the push for League onto, onto mobile, ultimately, uh, and onto console is going to be massive um, for them, uh, in addition to all the other things they have in the works. So I uh, would, never, would never count them out, and certainly uh, TFT and, and sort of followed up with Valorant, um, you know, is a good indication of where they're headed. And I think the other big launch um, in and around the pandemic was Warzone, which reported, what, 50 million um, players, and I'm sure even higher than that now. Um, is Warzone, I mean, obviously in, in a lot of regards, it was a Me Too product, but is, is that a game changer um, for Call of Duty? I mean, it's hard to say that a, you know, multi-billion dollar IP that's been around for 20 years needs, needs that much of a game changer. But um, it's, it's an important, I'd say, spoke on the, on, on the wheel for them, no doubt. Um, call it a Me Too, uh, certainly. I mean, they needed to get into the Battle Royale space. But there's yeah. some real good innovation there. I mean, I don't know if you've played it, Brandon, but, you know, that the sort of the gulag that you can get into if you get, if you get busted out is a really interesting innovation. Um, the plundering well, is super cool. They've innovated, but I, I think what's really interesting is the ability to get 50 million Call of Duty players into the funnel, many of whom were lapsed players, and mm -hmm. also trying to balance um, a free-to-play game with with one that requires an, an upfront purchase. And how yeah. do you kind of see that evolving um, as we move into next year's Call of Duty? And what does this mean for the franchise? Yeah, I think it's that's that's a great point because I think that's probably the trickiest that's the trickiest thing they're going to have to <clears throat> have to navigate. Right? Is you've got this incredible free platform, like you said, fifty million registered players already. A bunch of them probably lapsed, right? A bunch of them probably brand new to the entire ecosystem, right? Um, which is pretty incredible. I mean, the, that that level of a, of a quality experience for free. Um, if you think about it, even just five years ago, people would think that would be sort of a little crazy. Um, but how do you balance that against the sort of annualized drop and release of a $60 product? You got the upcoming con new consoles coming out. So that's, uh, that's an in interesting balance they're going to have to strike for sure. I think that kind of brings us to free to play more, more generally. I think, I guess there's League of Legends, but the most successful free-to-play games have been battle royale games and in the west how many non-battle royale games can be successful in free-to-play and and how do you see that model evolving well you're definitely talking off mobile right because yes mobile off mobile. yeah okay. of, of course if you want to talk mobile but talking, let's, let's hold mobile for a minute yeah we'll talk about mobile later we'll, i'm talking we'll about mobile. in the pc and console world Kev? Yeah, I mean, it, so the, I think free to play. I mean, to me, it's the future. I, 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 it's 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 the present and the future. I mean, it's been around for a long time. A lot of folks have been resistant. I think uh, Warzone was it was a great signal that Activision, despite Blizzard having shifted into into free to play for quite some time, um, just a good indication of the way Activision is starting to really think, particularly about one of their most prized and profitable franchises, Call of Duty. So it's a big move for them to shift into that. Um, but for anything that's competitive, multiplayer, you know, that model, absent, you know, we could split off the conversation on loot boxes versus actually, you know, yeah. direct buy. 
Um, that model is just proven to be working for decades now. In Asia, it is the dominant model across mobile and PC. And they make more money um, and they have much more flexible marketing, much more, much more flexible live operations, updating, pretty much everything about a free-to-play model is better because you get the forgiveness of, of your player base when you need to take things down for a moment because a lot of them haven't paid anything. So, and, and, and while it still sucks as a dedicated player and you, and you, you know, lose playtime, downtime is generally okay and understood, uh, with, particularly when you're pushing major updates. It's not the same for the traditional premium model. And so that's a fairly minor thought about free-to-play, but you get so much more flexibility um, and you get a much more interesting viral and organic growth effect from a free-to-play game than a premium game. So I'd be surprised, particularly in this day and age, when you see so many games coming out. I mean, even Riot has now released, after 10 years, three games, effectively simultaneously, albeit in largely different genres. I think you'll, you, the, the, the amount of game development that's happening these days is very hard to stand out as a premium title. People are not necessarily willing to take that risk. So, so I think because of... Well, yeah. and I, Sorry, yeah, I do. Th- I do think as more Western publishers and developers start adopting free to play and learn the intricacies of free to play and sort of modify what what worked in Asia versus sort of what works in the West, as sort of Riot has almost sort of expertly done, um, you're going to see a lot more. Right, you just have more more talented developers and folks internal at these publishers and developers who know how to how to build these mechanics. Uh, how to you know what the Western audience is looking for, uh, and there's going to be a lot more innovation that sort of comes out of those sort of primary drivers that I think you you know again as opposed to you would have seen five years ago. When you think about Warzone and Valorant surging, I mean I think everyone has noticed just how impactful this is is being. When you talk to people and see what their kids are doing, everyone's kind of talking about these titles. But you know, Ophir, as you kind of think about the landscape, I'd be curious actually for both of your views, but you know, who's losing market share? I mean, obviously the whole tide is is rising, but as you look at kind of both of these games that have seemed to take big kind of chunks of market share, clearly somebody's losing on the other end. You know, again, I don't have the access to the data, but I do I do look at Twitch pretty often and you could certainly see which games have viewership that's dropping, which have viewership that's gaining. And I think that's there's probably I think it'd be it would be an educated guess to say that there's some correlation there. So sure, there's some legacy titles, right? Um, you know, PUBG was sort of the 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 where it all started, right? Um and that game's done incredibly well. I, you know, the viewership is not what it used to be, certainly. And so I think in that in that dedicated space of sort of free-to-play, online, always on, always connected kind of games, um, you're definitely gonna see people who sort of jump from game to game. I don't I don't think it's really materially affected. I think you talk to folks at Microsoft Game Pass and seeing record numbers, right? Um, you talk to you know, you talk to the folks at uh, Take Two. I think you know GTA Online is probably seeing record numbers. So I think, um, well, I think by and large, uh, yes, everyone's probably seeing, or there's probably a lot of publishers seeing record numbers now with people sitting at home. And we we talked mm-hmm. about how much um, uh, more engagement there is. But if you look at the stats on Twitch, and I know Ninja is no longer on Twitch, it looks like Fortnite numbers. Um, have really started to come down. Are are they collateral damage here? What's what's going on with Fortnite right now? 
there has been some complaints about what laggy servers and about the most current season and, and what's happening in content. Have they run into a wall at all? I mean, I think it's too early to call for anything like that and not knowing the exact numbers of the player base in Fortnite. If I had to guess, I mean, there's just been so much content coming out lately. Uh, and in particular, the impact on Fortnite is probably pretty felt when it comes to Valorant. I mean, it's just a similar genre, a very similar player base as a result. Um, I'm sure Counter-Strike, I haven't looked at Counter-Strike numbers, although you can you can scan those easily or just... Google search them. Uh, I, I'm sure games like that are seeing a hit. You typically, while well, we have unprecedented times in terms of the amount of time people have to spend in a, on a quote-unquote hobby these days, even then, you know, you typically, I don't think you typically would see someone, you know, jumping back and forth from one FPS to another that frequently. So you probably are seeing a lot of folks that have jumped into Valorant and will do so as long as Riot has built a good game and continues to support it in a good way. Yeah, people might stick around in that game for a while, and then you'll obviously have some folks that will jump back to their you know previous game of choice. But that, that's 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 inevitable. That just happens when Call of Duty comes out every year. Most of the FPSs take a small hit temporarily while people play through the campaign, and then some people stick and continue to play multiplayer. Um, so that, that that's pretty normal. That's a, I think that's a relatively normal cycle, but it's it, it's very hard to tell. Um, so I think. You know, these days with the attention being spent to games for every game developer, you just have to be ever more careful, to your point, Brandon, on, on you know, if you release a bad season or you release a bad patch or you release, you know, something that, that, that just totally sucks and ruins the, the game experience, that is ever more risky now because you have choice and you have fans that are ever more particular because that is how they're socializing now. I think, I think with Epic, they're trying to do a lot more than just Fortnite, though, and Ophir, you were the you were the first. You brought Marshmallow into Fortnite, I believe, and now and now we're going to see Travis Scott doing a concert in Fortnite. I think next month. Can can you talk a little bit about what you think Epic's grand plans are? They keep adding pieces to the puzzle. Um, we've seen what they've done with their own game store, what they're trying to do uh, with publishing now. Can you talk about where you you see this all going and maybe Kevin too? And not to mention they have the number two app in the app store, number three app in the app store and house party. So just bringing live streaming into the equation as well. Yeah, look, I think Tim Sweeney is just an unbelievable visionary, right? There's no doubt about it. Um, where they're headed is, you know, so again, something I think that they don't really share with many folks. Um, but if you look at the pieces of the puzzle, you can start to get a sense of, 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 of where they're going. Um, look, number one, they want to be disruptive. And they have been. They've got, they made a pile of cash on Fortnite. They raised another pile of cash. Um, they went out and they've been incredibly disruptive with it. They bought, they bought um, House Party, is, is Rich mentioned, um, which is just obviously seeing a surge in traffic. They, uh, their, their game engine, you know, they compete with Unity. They force their hand in sort of a, a race to the bottom on pricing there. Um, you know, they wanted to challenge Steam. They felt 30% as they, you know, they believed was not, was not an appropriate uh, percentage to take uh, for a platform holder. And so that they built their own, their own game store and, you know, have poured an incredible amount of time, money, and resource uh, into, into making, making sure that that thing works properly. Um, 
boy, you can keep going on and on. Um, certainly the newest publishing effort is the same thing, right? They believe, um, if you talk to Tim, he will tell you this, that ensuring that developers have a safe harbor for them, that Epic is viewed as sort of this, uh, this oasis for developers, that the technology is easy to use, it's not overly expensive, uh, that the platforms that they build are easy to use and they open and sort of open the plat open up their uh, their network of users uh, to them that um, that all their publishing expertise is given to the best and brightest developers out there that's only going to help the game business move forward propel it forward and help games come to come to market that otherwise hadn't been I think ultimately you could probably expect them to start building walls around it um, which isn't surprising um, and I think if you look at what they've done, look, don't forget, they also bought Rocket League, right? People sort of forget yeah. about um, what these guys have done over the last uh, 18, 24 months. And they bought Psyonix, who were the makers of Rocket League. So, um, so they're, look, they're really trying to build, I think, a full-on, large-scale, you know, almost never-before-seen platform for, for pushing games uh, in keeping keeping users um, sort of, you know, within, within a walled garden framework would be my guess. They've got live streaming, they've got publishing, and they've got a store to sell you things. They've got an engine that you can make things in. It all starts to add up pretty quickly there. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Ophir says. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's a pretty, it, it, I think Epic is one of the most exciting companies out there uh, in the, you know, content digital and gaming space, um, they have the full creator stack. They've now got this huge microphone since you know over the last three years with Fortnite. Um, I think uh, Don Donald, their creative director, said at the Game Awards, you know, they want to be a place where everything can live and and sort of create this big virtual world. I think they have huge potential for VR as well. Uh, they've already got um, creator mode where you can make just about anything from a giant piano that people can play together to a skate park to just about anything you can imagine. Um, and so there's this sense, you know, this sense of, you know, game engine uh, within Fortnite itself. And so I think uh, it's interesting because Fortnite is a world that so many kids have grown up with now. They, they appreciate the artwork, they understand, you know, the mechanics of the game. Um, if they wanted to, you know, really build a persistent world that you could do anything in, I think they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, well ahead of, of, of a, a lot of other folks that are trying to build, you know, a similar metaverse play, so to speak. Um, and then through that, you know, they've learned how to throw these events um, like the marshmallow one that Ophir was involved with. These are really cool, rare things to see online for that many people, for 10 million people to tune in to watch a very short set, not only takes like a great engine and a great internal experience, um, but a lot of intelligence around how to plan it, how to market it, how to, you know, how to get people excited about something like that. And so I think all those pieces together, um, it makes for a pretty exciting opportunity. I think that's going to be the big challenge for them is they have the game engine. They've got Fortnite. They've got other games. They're buying things. They're investing in things. Um, they could jump into a virtual metaverse type of play if they really wanted to. They can keep throwing these events, which you know are, are somewhat time intensive. And then they've got House Party, which is a really now, once again, interesting social video app um, that has hit a perfect timing window, um, albeit 
pay an unfortunate but perfect timing window for them. So what do you really do with all of that um, is, is obviously the question. Where do you focus? What squishes together well? Um, um, what really amplifies something else? Um, but the potential of all these pieces that they have uh, is, is, is tremendous. So let me let me hop in with a question from our Q and A list, and as a reminder for those that are that are on the call, that you can actually type the Q and A questions there. We can hopefully get to them. This is from Ian. Has Epic's success with Fortnite impacted their game engine business at all? And do other developers worry about building on Unreal when Epic is going to compete as a developer or publisher as well? Anyone? Uh, on the first one, I don't think. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, is, is okay. Go ahead, Ophir. I was going to say on the first on the first part of Ian's question, uh, I don't believe it's. A, I don't think the success of Fortnite has affected their game engine business at all. I mean, I think if anything, it's shown that you know third person open world kind of game is exactly the kind of thing that you can build on Unreal, um, which I think is a really important uh, thing for them. Um, you know, TBD on whether or not the, the, the sort of ongoing online platform they built for, to sort of challenge Steam will have an effect on that. Um, I don't think so. I think they've made it pretty public what they're, um, what they're charging folks from a platform perspective. Um, and on the publishing side, look, I mean, again, I think they're just trying to be really disruptive. Will that affect developers? Looking to license the engine, I don't think. Do do I imagine that there's going to be more traditional publishers out there um, who have sort of large licenses with them across the board, and now we're going to look at them as both a provider of a supplier of licenses, but also a competitor for people's time, money, and attention? Uh, yeah, I, I guess that would probably happen. So maybe we should um, switch gears a little bit uh, to Stadia. I mean, is that kind of like a dead on arrival type of thing is rich. I don't know how many years ago was it when we went to Kansas city for the Google fiber launch and we took investors. the box was going away. Google fiber, you know, was, I think I should have worn my, I think I wore my Google fiber shirt to my last zoom. Um, can stream, <laughs> can streaming be a widespread distribution method for games um, in the next few years? Or is it, you know what's what's the what's your thought latest thoughts on that and if it is is google the winner there or is it microsoft or maybe even amazon kevin <laughs> i mean I, yeah i i think there will be a winner I, so the short answer is yes i, I it, it's inevitable it is the future it is coming um uh, almost everything almost all the pieces you need are there and 5g of course unlocks it yet further so i, I it's coming uh, who wins i have no idea um i think Stadia, it, it, it was a smart move to, to get something out there to start learning about all the things that break when you try to do something that complicated. Um, so it's a good first move, um, albeit maybe in an unfortunate launch. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know who, I don't know who wins. I think the, the folks you listed are the obvious, obvious major contenders given, you know, sheer resources and budget in order to compete. It's very hard for a startup to compete there. Um, incredibly difficult. So uh, it's just cost prohibitive um, to build something that uh, that live and that pushes that many bits around. So I think I think you'll you'll, you'll see a lot of innovation happening there um, in the in the next couple of years, particularly catalyzed by what's going on right now. Sorry if you can hear my doorbell. 
Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, leave, I leave the package it, outside for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, you I have to make believe, our PSA. Right? The, yeah. Social yeah. distancing. Exactly. Yeah, you got to let it. You got to let it. You know, simmer down anyway. Uh, you don't know what's on that thing. Um, so I, I, I do think, and I don't know if you need hardware either. I mean, you you have to believe the next generation of consoles are going to be majorly focused on 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 cloud play, and and you could preload a lot of stuff. Right, while it's while it's dormant overnight, it can preload a lot of the, the core assets on the on the on the consumer side uh, to make it even easier. But the point is, you know, the dream situation I think is you you see a game, you click it, you start playing it right away. That's it. And like that, there are many different ways to tackle that particular part of the experience. Um, then it's really the hard part of making sure it feels like playing at home, you know, low latency um, being one of the core core issues that a lot of people will face as they try to venture into cloud gaming. Um, yeah, I totally agree with Kevin. I mean, yeah. uh, th there's no doubt that streaming is going to, is, is going to be sort of a key factor in the delivery, in the delivery and the experience of playing games, uh, especially when the three, when the three folks leading that charge are Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. I mean, you know, to, to Kevin's point, the resources there are seemingly endless. So to answer your question about Stadia, I think it really, it really boils down to how deep, deeply um, they believe in this uh, and how far they're willing to go to ensure that they get the result that they want. Because I do think that the end goal here, the sort of the dream state for everyone is to build, a, you know, we were talking about drops before, right? That to me is just the very tip of the iceberg as it relates to building a true sort of bridge between active playing and sort of passive viewing, right? And how you can sort of blend that together over time. Really, it's sort of going to come down to those three companies to see who can, who can sort of really establish uh, that stake in the ground, because that is, that's a pretty, pretty big win state. We've had a pretty good test of the networks here um, with everyone's shelter at home. Where do the networks have to be for that for that type of gaming um, for that type of gaming to work? And you know, I know well, I think we're going to get into mobile shortly, but you know, is 5G the solution as well from a mobile standpoint on some of these things? But even on the wired standpoint, have the networks held up? I think you had mentioned Ophir, someone someone streaming 100 and whatever 80,000 simultaneous, no glitches there, and you know what incremental things need to happen to to you know have a, a good experience for the for the uh, for the players. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question. Uh, the interesting thing is a lot of that system is being taxed currently, right? With the yep. amount of Netflix and the adjustments that these companies have had to make, um, not only the the telecom and internet providers, but also. Um, folks like YouTube, right, defaulting to standard definition rather than high definition just to make sure they can get their videos through those pipes. Um, so that, that that's all being tested now. I mean, are there major, major upgrades? Yeah, I think you just you need more bandwidth. You, you definitely need more bandwidth and, and better protocol to to reduce the amount needed on a, on a persistent basis, whether that's is it like an up, or, Is it an uplink downlink issue? Cause you know, Rich had issues just with zoom and his cable provider until they dialed him up a bit, or is it, what, what hmm. specific elements of the network? Uh, yeah, both. I mean, I mean, some people are having success more on a, on a fiber network than a cable network. How does that all work? I would presume so. I mean, right. Your, your typical, okay. Let's just look at like, you know, quote unquote main street, right. Your main street user is going to have, maybe 50 to 100 megabits reliable downstream internet 
and then anywhere from five to 15 up. That should theoretically, if it's real, which it's never actually real, that you're never actually getting that, right? If you did, you'd, you'd have plenty. I think realistically, if, if you can get a fraction of that, let's say, you know, 20 to 30% of that reliably, as in it never degrades below those numbers, you're probably going to be fine for most games. You know, a lot of these games, if you look at it, even Valorant, you're not, it's not cinematic quality gameplay that you're playing constantly. It's not like playing Final Fantasy VII Remake on your PlayStation 4 where it's super graphically intensive. It's actually relatively graphic light. Um, and, you know, you look at the environments in uh, League of Legends as the example. Most of that map is essentially rendered already on your local machine, so you're just moving the little bits around that define where the characters go, roughly oversimplification um but you can you can you know if you design the game properly um you don't really need that much um to have a personalized as in just for yourself reliable experience then it's connecting all the other different players together getting is there, is there a minimum is there a minimum latency from a technical standpoint because i think you know in my world everyone's talking about how 5g is going to change everything they're even i think verizon's running commercials about this is someone going to be able to sit you know with a laptop at a you know somewhere it, on 5g if the latency is you know six milliseconds or eight milliseconds or even 20 on the on the initial ping that you're getting on a speed test i think it'll be generally yeah i mean it, it, there's a limit I, I don't remember exactly i read a study not long ago i don't remember what the actual number is i, I recall 12 milliseconds maybe it's 12 uh, don't quote me on that number regardless yeah. there's a there is a number at which most people start to notice right now your best players will obviously notice that much you know your your pro players so to speak are going to notice at much 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 lower numbers but i think for the great majority of people for a lot of different game types it's going to be generally fairly acceptable and you look at games like Minecraft, like Roblox, these hyper-social games where there are lots of people participating together and latency doesn't matter that much. For a Fortnite or a Valorant, obviously it's critical. So I think a combination of things, I think you'll start to see as a result of what's happening today, a lot of development for games that are less about actions per minute, less about precision and more social, yet intensely deep, right? Where you don't necessarily, where they're a little bit less sensitive to drops in latency or issues with latency or, or, or other things that cause, you know, sort of control to experience delays. I think you're, I think you're going to see games that are much more forgiving there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, 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 you can never really guess, right. As things like these start to culturally proliferate and people become more sensitive, maybe they become more, you know, critical of even small amounts of latency or, or, or issues with any, any issues with gameplay. Um, but I think people will be generally fairly forgiving in the beginning. I think 5G, yeah, theoretically solves, it solves it. You know, I mean, it, it, the promise of it does solve a lot of those, those potential issues and, and, and makes it less likely to experience bad gameplay. Um, but you never know. I mean, the problem with these networks is there's always problems. There's random spikes that happen due to events. There's other, many other issues that happen. When you think about um, kind of the the consolidation we've seen, I, I look across, or the, the team looks across the entire kind of media tech uh, universe, and we've seen a lot of consolidation in, in the media space. Um, you know, with AT and T buying Warner Media and Directv, um, you know, obviously Comcast buying Sky and having NBC. But we really haven't seen the consol you know, vertical integration or any form of real consolidation between the platforms and, and 
the publishers. Does that surprise both of you that we, you know, I mean, this is the fastest growth category and, you know, Disney sort of exiting the category and there's speculation of Warner maybe selling their video game unit. Like it just, it seems like there's companies like Walt covers Apple and, you know, you look at Amazon, you look at all these big players fang with huge balance sheets. Why are they not buying publishers? Like what's the disconnect that we're missing that it hasn't happened? Um, that's a good question. I think, I mean, making games is just really hard. Uh, you have to have, I mean, not that making, let's say like animated content isn't difficult in general, right? You do need a, a, a lot of technology to make it cost efficient enough where it makes sense as a business. But gaming, I think is yet, yet takes that step one, one, one further. So it's just a hard, it's, it's a hard industry to really break out in, um, at that level of scale that a big company like Disney or Warner would need. Uh, to make it, you know, justifiable and successful. Now they've all taken many different plays at this multiple times throughout the decades, but I think I think it's just a. I don't know. I honestly don't have a good answer for that. I think from a cultural disciplinary standpoint, making a game is just very different from churning out a movie every single year. You don't get that every single year, and you can't really rush game development. Um, particularly, well, you can, but like if you want it to be a hugely successful game, like a League of Legends or World of Warcraft or Fortnite, these things take years to develop and design and 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 continual iteration these days. And that's I mean, but a company not... like Apple is pretty patient, though, right? They sit, they buy a lot of stuff. They have multiple paths of of you know of developing different technologies. Let alone, you yeah. know, look, they hired. Look, I, th- I think I think you get that to your to your point, Walt, about Apple. I think um, some of these companies also in Disney to, to Rich's point earlier have real issues with, you know, violence. Um, and so right. that takes some of the biggest publishers off the, off the market to begin with. You can't buy Activision, you can't buy take two. I mean, you know, obviously you got rockstar with Grand Theft Auto and, and all that stuff. So, uh, although I Disney that, did get that, comfortable that with UFC over here. Different group. I mean, the same argument I have with the folks at Apple, if I'm just being frank, right. on on the game side, which is, you know, this game's too violent for Apple Arcade, but I can go into the Apple Music Store and listen to, I mean, you know, almost everything, or I can go on Apple yep. TV at home and rent, you know, you know, Natural Born Killers if I wanted to, right? I mean, I think that's, um, assuming that's for rent on, on the store. But <laughs> yeah, so I think... There's, there's, to Kevin's point though, I think that's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is there is a view from, call it legacy media on what games is, right? And how it's, it's sort of different than everything else um, from a production standpoint, from a content standpoint, um, you know, from a cost standpoint. Uh, I think all that, all, all that is really interesting. And just to, to, to the other side of the, of the equation, which is that, you know, more there will be no doubt more gaming MA for sure. Um, I think you're starting to see that from you know, sort of mid you know, sort of the, 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 the middle publishers, the publicly traded publishers buying up a bunch of development assets. Microsoft, of course, went went out and bought a number of studios. I don't know what the count is at this point. Um, you know, Google, even though the Stadia launch was not great, um, went out and acquired Typhoon, which is a, an independent studio in Montreal. I mean, I think we're seeing it. We're seeing it across the board. And that's I mean, Microsoft bought further up the, the food chain. Yeah. I mean, they bought Minecraft. I, I don't know what they've really done with it. I mean, but I, you know, obviously I mean, continues it's been, to be yeah, it's a, it's a monster still. 
Yeah, yeah that, no, no, they, they, they maybe didn't need to do anything. You know, yeah, yeah. Probably uh, that's what they did. Was <laughs> what, yeah. what about horizontal consolidation between an active between the world of sort of the Activisions, EAs, Take Twos, Bethesda, um, so on, so forth. Warner, do, do do you think we'll see any horizontal consolidation over the next couple of years on a, on a larger scale? I think it would have to be need-based. In other words, I think that only really happens if there's a need to be so big that you need to defend against something. And whether that's Google, this is just, just me speaking, whether that's against right uh, a bigger player, whether that's against a business model, right? I mean, I'm sure you were going to ask about subscription at some point, but yeah. if you re- if you really feel like you want to mitigate against the subscription. Uh, the you know the, the subscription business model taking over as it did and having the effect in the game business that it's had in other businesses um, and the fights that that entails you know it might be wise to you know to get together and sort of build a coalition um, and merge in an effort to try and stymie that. And meanwhile, you got Tencent buying up meaningful percentages of almost right. every game company, every big game company out there. So I don't know if that. <laughs> I think it's incredible what they're doing, like, to be honest, but it, it, you know, I don't know if that help if that prevents that type of consolidation to happen. I just don't, you know, the, the, the reality is uh, these game companies have such different cultures, you know, and different sort of methodologies and, and, and thinking through what the game design process is and different approaches to both marketing and community development. I don't know if it necessarily makes sense to consolidate. Um, I mean, what would you do? You know, you, you sort of then have, I don't know how, yeah, it's weird to think about, I think. Well, we've had um, Activision and Blizzard, like if you right. want to go back one and big look one. at sort of the cultural <laughs> issues. Well, totally. Well, I'd even step in though and say, look, you know, you had Activision bought King. You know, we really haven't seen the, what I would say the console publishers haven't exactly stepped up and been cleaning up and buying all of the mobile publishers. I mean, Zynga's probably bought more other smaller mobile publishers like mm-hmm. Graham Games you aren't seeing Zynga or these other companies that they're cleaning up, cleaned up by the big kind of console publishers, despite the fact that mobile has been a big growth area. And, you know, I mean, even Zynga seems like they're doing pretty well. And, you know, I just, I don't know, everywhere you look, it seems like that kind of mobile and console just hasn't mixed very much outside of King. And has it even really mixed well there? If you look at what ATVI has done in mobile with their legacy, franchises i don't know that they've been leveraging king very much in that it seems like they've been leveraging netties if that ever happens um and by tencent i think king is you know king is a very reliable and safe cash cow you don't really want to mess with that too much i suppose um and they just built this amazing you know amazing test engine that is I think only really replicated or similarly by a few companies like Supercell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, I think they did the right thing overall with King, which, which I don't actually just as an outsider looking in, I don't really know what's going on over there, but it seems like they've done a good job letting it kind of keep, keep doing the, the thing, but you, you know, you don't, yeah, I, I agree though, that you don't see, you don't see much innovation coming out of that relationship. At least you can yeah. perceive what that, what that might be. Do you have any insights on on what's going on with mobile? I mean, a lot of the stats that AT&T and Comcast have given up, 
it's, I guess, more relevant for AT&T and Verizon is about what's going on in their wire networks. And then they notably don't say anything about the mobile networks. Mm. And I think the industry, um, CTIA came out and said it was like the range of increased growth was like 2 to 9%. I think there might have been some evidence about podcast and music listening might be having issues because you just don't have these commute times that you had before. Is there anything, anything that you've heard or, or learned about what's going on with mobile gaming right now? All I, all I can give you is sort of anecdotal insight, which okay. is, you know, we, rep, we represent some studios um, that have live games out in the, in the mobile space um, that have just seen material uptick in every measurable metric. Really? Yeah. Okay. And certainly, um, you, know, you know, the entire mobile gaming business is effectively uh, <clears throat> sort of a spreadsheet exercise, right? Which is like, when, how, many, how many users pay of the paying users, right? How long does it take me to get the money that I spent to go acquire the users, right? And then sort of wash, rinse, repeat. And that's sort of return on ad spend is what they really call that, a ROAS. So, um, so in a world where you see a lot, of the, a lot of the Facebook buying going down, it becomes a lot cheaper to access new users. And so the mobile, you're gonna see the sort of influx of advertising across across platforms like Facebook to try and aggregate new users, which is really going to balloon up uh, the user count and the revenues. And I think that's why you're seeing, I mean, boy, glue, glue must be at a near, at a near high. Zynga, I mean, Zynga for sure is at a near 52 week high. I mean, maybe um, one of the, maybe one of the things is the, um, the mobile gaming as you're defining it is on your device, but it's probably mm-hmm. going through the Wi-Fi and, and mm-hmm. driving the, the home broadband traffic as opposed to maybe the person not using it when they're out and about, right? So That's they're, right. They're, yeah. I also think that, you know, so much of music listening is sort of passive. You're on a bus, you're in a car, you're commuting to work or the office. I think like with everyone sitting at home, I, I feel like video games on mobile are sort of kind of that time kill. You're sitting in front of, you know, kids are doing technically home learning uh, or mm-hmm. remote learning and they're probably sitting on their device, you know, they're playing <laughs> Roblox literally while they're uh, supposed to be learning. Totally. Yeah, I, I heard only... Yeah, numbers on podcasting and and for maybe a couple of weeks ago, music listening going down yeah. largely due to commutes and things that you guys have mentioned already. I think mobile games you have to remember for a lot of the world, like they don't have PCs, right? So, um, so we talked yeah. about PUBG earlier. PUBG, while it may have quote unquote somewhat disappeared from the public's eye in the West, as in the PC version, is just largely not seen on Twitch or YouTube anymore, and and not that many people are playing it. They're still making you know, upwards of a quarter million, uh, a quarter billion dollars a month on their mobile game mm. out in Southeast Asia, China, and India. So uh, that while not, not obviously us numbers that I'm talking about, like the, the prevalence of mobile is still huge in gaming. And, and we talk about, I think, I think in the U S especially, you know, when, 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 when folks talk about uh, on the mainstream about mobile games, they're thinking King, Candy Crush, Supercell, um, but there's all these new quote unquote more hardcore games like Free Fire, like PUBG, like Arena of Valor that are still truly massive and only starting to expand into additional countries. When you think about the amount of time people spend playing video games, even before COVID, and I'm sure the pandemic only makes it that much more extreme, but the relative monetization of video game content relative to other forms of entertainment content seems to really lag. Do you think that closes? I mean, are we we at some inflection point? I mean, I know Brandon wants to get into subscription, but is it an economic model problem or like 
why hasn't that gap closed? Hmm. I'm not sure I understand the question. Is the question... There's a lot gaming? of time spent on video gaming. Yeah. And it doesn't monetize as well as, I mean, when, when you think about the overall kind of entertainment universe, time spent on, on media and the profitability of that time spent doesn't seem like it translates as well as it should. Maybe you disagree with the premise. But I mean, I gaming's what, 100? Yeah, I, I disagree with that. Gaming's $150 billion, right? <laughs> well, right. I mean, estimated for this year was, I think, 130. And I think at this point, the trajectory will be somewhere between 150, 160, right? And, and, and that's bigger than media plus music combined, maybe including TV as well. I, I, it, it, I don't know if I understand the question because it seems like it's monetizing quite well. I think if you, okay, if you break it down on a per minute basis, if you look at your average American traditionally spends four and a half hours watching television per day, maybe they're spending an hour or two playing video games or more, right, for the, for the more, uh, more hardcore user. I don't know. It seems like that no matter how you divide $150 billion by the minutes of, of consumption, it seems like it's still monetizing way better than other entertainment categories. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sure I, this is not my question. This came in from the audience, but the, the idea was you're spending roughly $100 a month for call it four to five hours of ah. entertainment you know, spending when you think about what you pay for the bundle. Uh, mm. And yes, that bundle's in trouble, but it's still 80, well, yeah. 85 million homes paying for you know, $100 a month, and they're watching four to five hours a day. I don't think video games is monetizing at that rate per day, you know, if you, if you did the math out. I guess that was sort of the Well, I think, I think you've got two businesses that are sort of like passing ships in the night, right? I mean, I think that the folks who, the 85 million homes who are paying for the 100 bucks a month for the bundle, probably by and large still believe that's a good value for them yep. because they grew up believing that was a good value for them. And so they're willing to continue along that you know, feeding into that value ecosystem. I think if you're sort of part of the native gaming, you know, uh, audience, uh, you've grown up sort of digitally and gaming native. Well, maybe I'll simplify it. So you pay $20 for a movie ticket in New York City. I realize $10 across the whole country, but you pay mm -hmm. upwards of $20 for a movie ticket for two hours of entertainment. You can buy Call of Duty for $60 and play for a very long time. And I guess that was sort of the kind of the basis of the question was also asked within. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Sense. No doubt. I mean, look, I, we, my kids and I just played through Luigi's Mansion 3, which is a phenomenal game. If you have young kids, it's incredible. Uh, but when you... What's your uh, platform really, of choice? What's the platform of uh, choice? In the, well, that, in the that's, a, that, that, that's on Switch, of course. Um, but when you click on the save game that you're, you're playing through, it actually gives you a running count of how, many, of how long you've spent playing. Uh, the game, which is, you know, sort of frightening. Um, but by the time we finished the game, I think we put in almost close to 30 hours, $60 game, right? That's, that's incredible value, right? Um, now, I will tell you, if they put out DLC, if they put out downloadable characters, like, we are so hooked into that. My kids are so hooked into that ecosystem. You know, I think what we're not thinking about is, ultimately, when theme parks open up and the Universal Studios right here has their has their Nintendo deal, right? My kids are going to be all about it. They want Luigi costumes for Halloween, 100%. If there's DLC that gets launched tomorrow, we're first in line to buy it. So I think um, there's sort of this long tail associated with it that I think maybe isn't uh, fully realized yet because to your point, there hasn't been sort of that bigger... 
I'm waiting for Comcast to buy Nintendo. I'm salivating just sitting here. I'm literally like foaming at the mouth for this. Oh, God, please no. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about media companies acquiring video game companies. Nintendo is the obvious best one to acquire. Oh, yeah, super exciting company. Owns some of the most popular and well-monetized IP in the world has a device that sells itself at this point. They can't even keep up with the demand. Um, and I think just some of the best innovators in, in the gaming industry. I, I, I agree. It is a very exciting company. All right. We've, we've kind of danced around subscription. I, I feel like it's obligatory to, to discuss it. Is, is subscription going to be the main way that video games are merchandised ever in the future? Ever is a long time. Okay. Will there be a Netflix of video games? As in, has a library you pay to access? Right. Access for ownership. Yeah. I think there will be. There will be. That will be one avenue of playing games. I think it will be driven by the the platform. I don't think it'll be the dominant form. It'll take a long time. I mean, there's you know there's been many attempts at building these libraries. There's tons and tons of video games, archive games, particularly single player games that you could shove into a library like this. Uh, I think the tech wasn't quite there. I think cloud will unlock a lot of that. Um, that 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 ability to sell a subscription convincingly to a consumer. Um, but I don't know. I, I I kind of agree with Ophir. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, particularly since if you look at the biggest game developers now are all going direct to consumer, right? You've got Valve, you've got Steam, you've got Epic um, with their game launcher, you've got uh, Blizzard with Battle.net, which is now starting to add Activision titles to it. I mean, I could see maybe subscriptions within an Activision Blizzard Battle.net launcher because they do have a larger library than an Epic or a Valve does, but I, I still don't necessarily see that happening. Um, a lot of gameplay just happens in waves. And, and while you see folks playing retro games, playing old games, um, it's not typically in mass. It's not like cultural phenomenon level as you see in game launches as we're seeing right now with Valorant. Uh, so I think the, that, yeah. I just don't know if you get that effect through a subscription. I think the better question, Brandon, is going to be, you're going to get your answer when someone like Rockstar decides that it's, it's worth it to put GTA six, you know, day and date on game pass. Cause that's, that's really the tipping point. It's the big, the five or six games that really move the needle from a, from a box product standpoint in, in quotes, of course, the $60 frontline title, when those really go in, um, that'll be the, the needle mover. Cause it's great. Of course, Microsoft wants game pass to succeed. They're going to put their next Halo game in there. They're going to put all their internal right. offerings in there for sure. Um, They're going to have to pay up <laughs> to be able to do that, especially for a game like a GTA 6, which, I mean, GTA 5 has sold, what, 110 million? <laughs> yeah, so I think that I think the question almost answers itself at that point. There's no, right. way, um, no way you're doing that. Yeah. When will we see GTA 6, Ophir? Oh, great. It's funny you ask that, Brandon. I have the answer right here. Everybody wants to know it. I have no, I have no idea. I mean, I think those guys, <laughs> to, to, to Kevin's point about the game business just being different and you can't rush a game. I mean, you know, and you got to give 
take two and Strauss and, and Carl and their whole team credit because they give all of their development studios the time, money, and the resource to make the things that they want to make and uh, you know, the time frame that they want to make them. Um, I will say, I think COVID is prop, whatever their plans were, COVID definitely is having a material effect on that. I think, you know, while game development studios are probably more able to shift to a distributed, uh, distributed work environment, I still think there's probably a couple of steps that needed to be put in place to ensure that security was tight, um, you know, and all those things were, were, were in place. Because it's, because it's the housers. You're saying for that, is that something that's that particular mm. game, like mm. game specific, or do you think we're going to see real delays in IP? You're, you're going to see real delays. There's no doubt. And by the way, you saw a bunch of games get pushed already. Certainly the last of us too. Yeah, last of us. Um, Iron Although Man they said VR. that was not because the game wasn't done. I didn't quite understand that whole. Look, I'm sure they have hardware bundles they're trying to push out. I'm sure yeah. they have all sorts of stuff they're trying to push out that they didn't want to lose out on. Again, I'm not, uh, we've got no clients associated with that one, so it's hard for me to tell. But you're definitely going to see, see things pushed, no doubt, especially with big games. I mean, you've got to understand the GTA is, a, is effectively an engineering marvel, right? You've got thousands of people building something in almost every time zone uh, out in the world. Um, that's you know, typically that's done from centralized offices. And, and when you're distributing thousands of people, that becomes a little bit trickier. And we do, I, I'd be remiss not to mention the, the new console cycle. Uh, if we went through this whole thing, what, what kind of impact do you think, do you think the new console cycle is going to have? Uh, obviously, it's not the same step function that we've, we've seen in the past. Um, in terms of software sales, maybe. Um, for the rest of 2020 and and in 21, do you, do you think it's it has a major impact? I mean, I, I I do think so. Especially, I think COVID has provided a lot of tailwinds to that experience, um, uh, particularly out in the West. Just this feeling of socializing over video games, given that is a major way people are connecting while apart from each other. I think bringing that back to the living room experience makes a lot of sense. And then there's still just this general, you know, in a, you know, lack of desire to play PC games or, or build your own PC or, or things like that. That was always sort of the, the basic premise of the console is it's a great high quality gaming device that you don't ever need to think about. Um, and now that I, I, I do think there's some good tailwinds there um, for this, this generation. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I suspect as things move to, to cloud that, um, this will be the last cycle probably for something that is that engineered. Uh, but I do think that there, I, th I think it'll have a pretty, pretty positive impact on the industry um, this go around. I just want to know, uh, we've used both of your times. You've been very generous and uh, for joining light shed live. I just want to know in the middle of all of this, what are you watching on TV? What series are you binging lately? Ophir, you go first. You're smiling. So, well, I had to do the Tiger King, so we did that. Um, oh, my God. Okay, what do you think of it? And what do you think of the Tiger King? I, I, oh, that was unplanned. You have a, I didn't very, have any you have a very big internal, you know, debate amongst oh, us. Oh, I, I didn't know what I was stepping yeah. into there. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, my God. The best uh, I can say about it is, well, I'm not going to say. What did you think? What did you think of it? Oh, my God. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. 
um, on every on, on nearly every level. Uh, I do felt I do feel that after sort of four episodes, I sort of got I sort of got it. Uh, yeah, or see, two. I had or maybe, to see, or okay. maybe one. I, I see where you're. I see where you're leaning. Well, um, uh, that's so. We did that. Uh, I'm doing a run on um, Curb. I got to catch. I'm doing a lot of catching up. So catching up on Curb. I watched the two episodes of Last Dance last night, and I'm catching up a lot on games. You know, I don't get the chance to play that often, so I'm playing uh, Control, which is an excellent game by a studio called Remedy um, uh, that that came out last year. Uh, as I said, we finished Luigi's Mansion, and uh, oh, and we're watching Ozark. We just started Ozark. My wife and I. Well, just finished it. Ozark's How about you, phenomenal. Kevin? Stay, hold on, stick with Ozark, though. You got to get to season three. It's amazing. Season two is a little second half, eh, but amazing. Show. Um, let's see. So we, I've only made it through about four, uh, five episodes of Tiger King. Um, prior to that, I was trying to catch up on The Expanse. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But have not. What's that on? Series. It's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Video. Yeah. It's it's excellent, and somewhat uh, somewhat timely, um, given the premise. It's great space western, a lot of political intrigue. Yeah. And any new games you're playing? Um, I've been playing Teamfight Tactics periodically. I downloaded a bunch of games four weeks ago, thinking that I would just jump in and play all these old games that I missed, but I haven't done that at all. Mostly, mostly been working. And then uh, when, I, when I can sneak a game in, I'll, I'll play Teamfight Tactics. You both have been so generous. Thank you for your time. We really appreciate having you on Lightshed Live. Be safe, be healthy, talk soon. Good to Thanks, see you guys. guys. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Take care, guys.